The scripture reading comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, beginning in chapter 1 at verse 15, which is found on page 976 in your pew Bible, 976. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles for the reading of God's Word, and I would encourage you to keep your Bible open as I make specific reference to particular verses in it. would be good for you to be able to uh, look at that as we are expounding God's word. Let us ask the blessing of the Holy Spirit to give illumination to our minds, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might receive God's word with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glory of the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ our risen King. We pray in His name that You will pour out through Him the Holy Spirit upon us afresh to open our minds to Your Word and open our hearts. We pray that You would work in us with Your mighty power to transform us more nearly into the image of Your Son and empower us to live for Your glory through Him. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we 
should walk in them. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Apostles' Creed summarizes the work of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners by stating he was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. This past Thursday was the 40th day after Easter, the day of ascension. And so last Sunday we focused on Jesus' ascension into heaven, his exaltation at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, far above, as the scripture says, all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. The ascension of Jesus assures us first that the one who was crucified in weakness and shame is now the one who reigns over all things for us in power and glory. Secondly, the one who died for us as the substitutionary sacrifice for all our sins is now the one who lives forever and intercedes for us as our great high priest in the holy of holies in heaven, securing our salvation for us as our mediator. And thirdly, that the one who died for us under the condemnation of our sins, suffering the righteous judgment which we deserved, is now the one who stands for us as our advocate in God's court, to defend us against the accusations of sin which Satan perpetually levies against us. He was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. That's what Jesus did to save sinners. Or we might say, that's what happened to Jesus for the sake of our salvation. Now that's review from last Sunday. This morning... We're going to look again at Jesus' ascension into heaven, but this time, not in terms so much of what happened to him, but rather what happened to us in Christ, with Christ, in his ascension into heaven. Now stay with me right here, because here's the point that we're going to dig into. Jesus' ascension into heaven is something that happened not only to him, but also to us who believe in him. In the passage we read from Ephesians, there are two distinct references to Jesus' ascension into heaven. The first is found in chapter 1 at verses 20 and 21. The second in chapter 2 at verse 6. But both of these references to Jesus' ascension into heaven are about believers in Christ And and our ascension into heaven. Now, look again in your Bible at at, uh, this passage, and I'm going to begin at verse 118. This is is Paul's prayer. This is the continuing prayer uh, for us. That you may know what is the hope to which he, God the Father, has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now, you see, in those verses, we have a reference to Jesus's ascension into heaven, but it's making the point. That the greatness of power which with, with which God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heaven is the same immeasurable greatness of power with which God is at work in the lives of those who believe in Christ. We share in, we benefit from the power of Jesus' ascension. Just as God the Father raised him and seated him, so God the Father is at work in us. He has raised us and seated us with Christ. Now, the second reference may be even more mystifying to us. Following the diagnosis of our spiritual death due to trespasses and sins and the description of our lives as slaves of Satan under the wrath of God there at the beginning of chapter 2, The scripture then says at verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, if you would look there, please. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, there it is. There's a reference to Jesus' ascension into heaven. But in this verse, it has to do with our ascension into heaven with him. Our salvation. Our salvation from spiritual death. Our salvation from the dominion of the devil. Our salvation from the condemnation of God, the judge. The totality of our salvation consists in the fact that God, in his rich mercy, in his great love, in his free grace, God has made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, don't miss the power of this point. This passage is not about something that is going to happen to us in the future. The verbs are not in the future tense. The verbs are in the past tense. This this passage is about something that has already happened to us. That is, in our union with Christ through faith. It is a reality fixed in heaven. The scripture says that God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. When Jesus ascended into heaven, we did too. When Christ was seated in the heavenly places... So were we. Isn't that what the Bible says? But how could that be? And what could that mean? First, what it does not mean. Obviously, we did not experience a bodily ascension into heaven as Jesus did. Okay, that's easy enough. What does the scripture mean when it says that we were seated with Christ in the heavenly places? It is speaking of a spiritual reality. 
And the spiritual reality of our being seated together with Christ in the heavenly places is the result or the outcome of our spiritual union, our spiritual bond with Jesus Christ through faith in Him. A bond that is created and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. The New Testament uses imagery which we can understand to illustrate the reality of this spiritual bond with Christ through faith. For example, the New Testament speaks of the church believers as the body of Christ. There is one body, and we are individually members of it, and you might be an eye or an ear or a foot or a hand. You're probably familiar with that imagery, the body of Christ. But who is the head of the body? That's right. Jesus Christ, ascended and seated in heaven, is the head of the body. Now, let's use that analogy. The quick of your little toe is connected to your head, isn't it? There is a lifeline running from your head to your little toe, right? Your little toe is in union with your head. But the spiritual union, the spiritual bond, the spiritual connection of the believer to Christ through faith is more real, more sure, more strong than the physical connection of our bodily parts to our own head. One of your bodily members, your toe, your finger, your arm, your leg, can be severed from your head, right? But in Christ, with the spiritual bond, Created by the Holy Spirit, uniting you to Jesus Christ, you can never be severed from your head, Jesus. And if Christ, our head, is in heaven, then by virtue of our spiritual union with Him, we are there too. Use your imagination for the purposes of other illustrations. When you stick your head in the door, you're in the house. Right? The very moment the nose of the thoroughbred crosses the finish line. The whole body of the horse, including the last wisp of his tail, is included in that victory. Right? Now, you see, our ascension with Christ is at present an invisible reality, hidden from our eyes. It's hard for us to get our heads around. But since Christ, our head, has ascended into heaven and is seated there, then we also, by virtue of our faith union with Him, we are seated there with Him. We don't fully experience that reality in our lives on earth right now. We experience it partially. We experience it imperfectly. But it is the fixed and settled reality which is revealed to us in the Scripture. And that's what we lay hold of. Christ, my head, is in heaven and I can never be severed from Him. 
Another scriptural illustration of our spiritual bond, our faith union with Christ, is, of course, the union of husband and wife. The two shall become one. And that refers to not only the physical union, but also the union of heart and mind and soul, the spiritual union of husband and wife. What happens to one happens to another. When something good happens to the husband, the wife is included in that. If something sad happens to the wife, the husband is included in that. When whatever degree, to whatever degree that there is, uh, however imperfect, yet a spiritually and emotionally healthy, loving marriage, then it's, it's not a matter of you and me. It's a matter of we. United together, husband and wife share the Ups and downs of life. Or again, use your imagination for purposes of illustration. When a man is elected to and seated in high office, as we say, his wife is likewise elevated with him. She moves into the White House or into the governor's mansion as the first lady. If Christ, the head of the body, the husband of his bride, the church, has been seated in heaven, then we, his bride, by virtue of our faith union with him, we too have been raised up and seated with him. Now let me offer one more illustration, and it's not a biblical illustration. But I hope that it will be of some help to you in grasping the reality of our spiritual faith union with Christ. Paul uses the expression, in Christ, to speak of this faith union, this identity with Christ, this oneness with Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? That's another way of asking, how is it that what happened to him happened to me? How am I included in his victory and his triumph of his ascension? What what is that like? How do I get my head around that? Okay, now, we're just going to, it's just an illustration. It's just an illustration to to help you kind of identify with it. All right? Let's say that you are a fervent fan of a particular sports team. When your team, think about that expression. You see, there's, there's some connection there, isn't there? There's some belongingness there. There's some personal identification union there, right? When your team is playing and you're not at the stadium, you're going to be watching that game on television because you're committed. You've got something at stake in this game. You've got some kind of investment. Now, think about that term, In Investment in your team. It's an investment of your identity, your inner self, your personhood, if you will. You have a personal bond with your team. And if you're with me right now, you know that when the game begins, and let's just say kickoff, since we are only 90 days away from the LSU-Oregon game, when the game begins, you are going to be doing a lot more than merely Watching the game, aren't you? You're going to be running the ball, 
catching the ball, passing the ball, tackling the opponent, coaching on the sidelines. Your heart is going to be racing. Your adrenaline is going to be pumping. Your palms are going to be sweating. And your voice box is going to be yelling. And at the end of the game, if your team wins, you're going to say, We won! We won! Now wait a minute. You've been sitting in your den eating chips and dip. You aren't out on that field sacrificing your body. What do you mean, we won? What did you have to do with it? Why should you claim any share in the victory? And furthermore, really, why should the fact that a particular team happened to win really bring you any kind of personal elation or satisfaction of soul? What's going on here? The answer is that your personal identity is somehow bound up with that team. You have an inner self personal connection with that team. You're part of that team. That team is part of you. That is the reason that when you get cut, you bleed purple and gold. Or maroon and gold, whatever it is. So you see, what happens to the team happens to you. That may sound like a trivial illustration, but here's the point. In a truly real way, not an imaginary way, in a truly real way, because the Holy Spirit binds us together with Jesus Christ in real union, what happened to Him happens to us. When He was crucified, our old man, the old Adam, the old sinful nature was put to death. When He was raised from the dead, we were made alive together with Him, and spiritually raised, born again, to live a new life. Delivered from the dominion of darkness. Set free to live for the glory of God. When He ascended into heaven and was seated in the heavenly places, we were seated with Him because He ascended there for us on our behalf as our representative, our Savior, our brother, the captain, if you will, of our team. It's a spiritual reality which we do not fully comprehend, which we will not fully comprehend until Christ comes again. But you see, here's here's something to consider. If all you do is mumble those words, crucified, dead, buried, third day rose again, ascended into heaven, All you do is mumble those words as though they don't matter. If you can mumble through the creed, mumble through the hymns, celebrating Christ's resurrection and ascension as though it really has nothing to do with you, doesn't matter, then you be the judge. You be the judge of your own heart. Are you personally invested in Jesus Christ through faith in Him? In a way that makes your personal investment in a football team look absolutely trivial. 
You see, do you realize that what he did, he did for you so that what happened to him would happen to you? So that you too with him might be made alive, be raised up with him, seated in the heavenly places, sharing in his triumphant victory, sharing in the victory over all the powers of sin, Satan, darkness, and death. This is the greatest victory of all. And you're called to share in it through personal faith in Jesus Christ. The ascension of Jesus means we won. We won. He did it all, but we won. And that victory, though it has not yet been fully revealed to us in our own experience, that victory is secure and guaranteed. It is an accomplished fact which will be fully revealed. And the believer's security in Christ, seated with Him in the heavenly places, is a fixed, settled, sure security out of which the true Christian can never fall. To be seated with Christ in the heavenly places is to be secure in our status as the children of God with all the family privileges and blessings of God's children as heirs of the glorious riches of God's everlasting kingdom. To be seated with Christ in the heavenly places means that even now, in our lives on earth, as we struggle and continue to struggle with sin, in our continuing, ongoing battle against Satan, in our sufferings in this fallen world, whatever persecution or rejection we may endure for Christ's sake, because we are seated with Christ in heaven, By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us because His victory is our victory. He has lifted us up, seated us with Himself above all our enemies. And so to God be the glory. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the glorious word of the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name that You would apply the truth of Your word to our hearts and minds. Weed out any error and water and nourish that which is good and true so that true faith might spring up in our hearts and bear more fruit for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.